mention it. Yeah. podcast with kevin and dane my name is dane and i'm kevin and you probably hear Bronny panting in the back yep Bronny is right next to us he's our he's our audience today yeah yeah <laughs> live live stew audience <laughs> Yo, it's actually fire because he's really looking at us like what we say really really he's really hanging on to each of our yeah, words he's into it right yeah now. he's into it um <laughs> shit what were we what were we talking about right before? And we were like, let's save it. For oh, we were talking about parenting. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Parent, parents have... Fell off a cliff. Yeah. Um, fallen, rather. Yeah, from working in the service industry for so long, my thing was like, these parents just let their kids do whatever the fuck they want. Right. Right. I'm, I'm not with that. Like, that, like... Parents would parents and a bunch of kids come into the coffee shop. Just like kids are running around, as if it's like you know, as the if playground. it's their home. <laughs> and I'm like, this is a this is a a public place. It's not just like you know, let your kids do whatever the fuck zone. Right. Yeah. No, I'm I'm a, a staunch proponent of um, reasonable ass whoopings. Yeah. Like. Sometimes you have to reprimand your kids, and sometimes that's physical. Like, this whole, like, you letting them sort of get away with whatever, and, you know, you're not disciplining them. That shit's out. No. Like, knock his little ass out. If he's fucking around, knock his ass out. Yeah, and I didn't even really get, like, whooped. Mm-hmm. But, like, if I if I was really being a little shit, which I was a little demon, as I've said before, I was an absolute right. demon because I was smart enough to know like which buttons to really press. Right. And like, if I was being a real fucking demon, I, my dad would smack me. Right. It's like it's not like like oh, not what he had to deal with. Right. Not right. he. It wasn't like he was. I was getting hit with the hanger, which is like what he like. Yeah. That's how he was raised. Yeah. But still, like it. I'm I'm glad that that happened. Yeah, I'm glad that I'm used to the that I've been acclimated to the possibility of like if I say some OD shit, I might get smacked. Right. I might get knocked right. the fuck out. Right, and like you need that. I think that's a Bill Burr bit. Like you need that to have of that course. humility. No, of, like, of course. Like you need it. You need it in like. So I needed it for just the environment I grew up in. Like it's certain decisions that you aren't gonna make. Because it's like, okay, you got to deal with the consequences outside. But then it's like, shit, I go home. My dad is going to punch on me. My mom is liable, like, to throw some shit at You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just like, fuck that. Like, that just, that made me move a lot differently. Yeah. Like, and I'm better for it. Hell yeah, I'm better for it. I mean, at the time, I I had no consciousness yeah, of it, but yeah. now I look back, I'm yeah. like, like for the 
handful of times that I really got a, a serious smack, I'm like, I'm like, thank you. Right. I, I appreciate that. For now. sure. You For need sure. that. Yeah. You need that level of humility. You For need sure. that, like just that instilled in you that if I say some shit, I'm, I might get smacked. There, ha- there's sometimes there's physical consequences. You, yeah, you and like it. because the real world is gonna, you know, bring physical consequences. <laughs> like if you are like just move, if your parents just allow you to say whatever and do whatever, and then you get out into the world and you start saying and doing whatever, somebody is going to physically reprimand. Yeah, you. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and they aren't gonna do it from a loving, you know, no. teaching place. Like it's not coming from that perspective. Mm-mm. And plus, if I put myself in in my dad's shoes, I'm like, I think I have more of a temper than what my dad had at the like. Mm-hmm. Now, me myself, right. now I have a temper now. Right. Like, and I'm like, if I ever had kids, and my male kid was doing the, even like an iota of the shit that I was doing, like, there's no way I could restrain myself from just smacking him. Oh, like, fuck come no. on, come on, bro. <laughs> Hell no. Come on. Hell no. Like, if, man. Because if, it's especially pernicious when, like, the kid is, like, sm- savvy. Sm- right. It's like, when right. you think you know too much, that's when I'm like, if you're just, like, if you're doing poorly in school and just, like, fucking around, but it's, like, it's the, the shit that irks me is, like, the knowing. It's, like, right, right. The, the needling, the intentional right. needling. There's no way, I, which is what I did. So right. there's no way I could hold myself from, exactly. oh, really, no. you want to be a no. smart ass? No. Yeah, exactly. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, that's, that's exactly how I would be. Like, I know, like, me and my dad, like, my dad had a fucking time with me. But that's because me and my dad are legit the same exact person. Like, I'm named after my dad. I'm the second. But it's be like, we look alike. We look almost exactly alike. Yeah. And then it's like, we have the same mentality, the same attitude. Same like So it's like, he's forcing me, if I have a son, to name him the third. Yeah. And if that motherfucker comes out, <laughs> he acts like us. <laughs> yes, it's a problem. Like I'm, I'm anticipating it being a problem. Yeah, like I'm already knowing what what is gonna be. Yeah. And so yeah, you gonna get your ass whooped. Yeah. So parents today. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well. Oh well. <laughs> oh, so we should say today the main segment of the show we're talking about um, free speech, freedom of speech, and hate speech. Um, but we'll get to that after the break. Other than that, so last weekend, mm-hmm. it snowed. Right, finally. For like the first time, it, it's yeah. January. Right. And like now it's like 50 degrees out and pouring rain. Right. Like, like, yeah, it's stupid. Um, no, climate change is real. Yeah, but um, how, would you, how would you gauge like the intensity of the snow in the city last weekend? Like, was it DEFCON 12, like, crazy? Was it nothing? Like, how would you how would you characterize how bad the snow was? Mm. Okay, so, first of all, I'm, a, like, snow, to me, is a little bit different because I lived in Syracuse for two years. Oh, okay. So, the snow in the city comes nowhere right. close to that. So, every time it snows here, I'm just kind of like, eh. It's nothing. Yeah. Exactly. So it, it, that's any that's pretty much any time right. t- anytime it snows in the city. But um this lat like it was just the first time it snowed. It wasn't anything it, special. Bro, it was nothing, okay? And here here's my thing. New York is a city in the northeast. Right. It's not like we're in Miami where if it snows it it 
rightly should be the fucking apocalypse. Right. Bro, I was I was in the city because I had to go out. I went out to a movie with my little brother. I drove the car in. So I was I got out of the movie. It's like one o'clock. It's starting to snow, but and there's like a little bit of snow on the ground. I drop my little brother off up on Dykeman and I mm-hmm. get on the highway. Or I'm mm-hmm. trying to get on the highway. Bro, a little bit of snow, and it's like it's the fucking end of the world, especially in terms of the traffic. And I'm like, why can't we, as a city, we act like it's like we've been here before? I'm like, yo, this is this shouldn't be crazy to people, but I feel like now more than ever, like a little bit of snow, like you, people might as well, like, there might as well be fucking explosions, <laughs> motherfuckers on fire, like running around, right, like a dude just right, on fire, right. like sirens, like I'm a like, real action movie. Yeah, like I'm like, it's like bumper to bumper traffic, and like. People have fucking spun out on the side of the road. And I'm like, it's not that, it's not that bad, guys. It's really not that bad. It's not. No, like, it, to, to sort of put it in perspective, I guess, too, is it rained that night. And the snow was gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's, like, if the snow is washed away after a few hours of rain... Clearly, that's telling you that it wasn't yeah. anything serious. And I get, like, you want to be cautious on the road, even if it's snowing just a little bit. But there's a point where it's like there's there's being cautious and then there's just. But, I mean, it's it's the Northeast, like you said. Like, motherfuckers should be used to this shit. That's what I'm saying. That's what I don't get. And, like, I, I was leaving the city trying to get on the highway right as the snow started to fall a little bit hard. And even... At that point, it was already a shit show. Bumper to bumper to traffic, mad like spin outs on the side of the road. People just also like people take it you like to use it as a license to just not follow the traffic laws. It's like there's it's like it's insane. It's insane. Yeah, I it's funny because so when I went to Arkansas for my for undergrad, um it snowed one fall, one fall semester, it snowed it started snowing i think in like october or something bro we missed so much school (laughs) they like it wasn't anything bro like it like it probably a couple inches and they were like oh no classes it's it's over no classes nothing like and this was like it was snowing like that for weeks like we missed weeks of school (laughs) 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 like weeks of school from like for like what what it's you know what it looked like out here yeah but but yeah i yeah but that's ridiculous but i again i give them in arkansas a pass because they're not no yeah you that's some apocalyptic yeah, right, shit right here it's like it shouldn't yeah. be it shouldn't be that nuts guys yeah, yeah yeah it really bothers me i guess because it was the first one though like and it hasn't yeah snowed maybe i don't know i don't know i guess people just really don't know how to drive that too and that people too. just fucking freak out. I remember last winter, there, um, it snowed a little bit. I don't know if it was the first snow or whatever, but I was at work in Midtown. And I remember I was on the phone with my boy Juan, who's from here, but now he lives out in L.A. And he just has that sense of humor, like the, the sense of humor mm-hmm. we were just vibing to. Where I, I, I walk out of work and it's a little bit of snow on the ground, but it's, it's everyone fucking honking. Mm-hmm. It's sirens. And I'm like... All right, like let me just see the dude on fire run by, and that'll be complete. Like that's the level of panic we're at right. here. Yeah. Fucking New York. Yeah. But yeah, that was my that was my observation. That was my 
The opening segment is really just like the complaining forum, which I fucking love. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much just the soapbox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I don't have anything to complain about uh, this week. Yeah, that that was really it for me. But yeah, that's it. Mm. That's all I got. Mm. Okay. All right, so. We'll get to the hot shit. Yeah, let's take a break. And when we come back, we will be engaging in a lot of hate speech. Yes. (laughs) Slurs and all. (laughs) All right. Back to the Now That You Mentioned It podcast, take two. <laughs> at this time, we'd like to say to you, please follow us on social media at NTYMIPod or shoot us episode recommendations at our email, which is NTYMIPod at gmail.com. Right. And that's about it. So today we're talking about hate speech. Well, free speech. We're investigating free speech. By looking at hate speech. Mm -hmm. And by looking at hate speech, you can come to the conclusion that you need a really robust legal concept of free speech. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's basically what we did. Mm -hmm. So the book we used was, or the source we used was, Hate, Why We Should Resist It with Free Speech, Not Censorship, by the author Nadine Strassen. And... I'd say that the mission of the book is basically to to refute the idea that the United States should follow the lead of other other Western democracies, but also just other countries around the world, and enact hate speech laws, i.e., laws that would resp- that would make hate speech punishable by law. Right. Um, so let's start with this: What is hate speech, Kevin? And how often do I engage in? It? <laughs> <laughs> um. So, according to Strassen, uh, hate speech is um, anything that's sort of disfavored, uh, sort of repugnant speech, slurs, things of that nature. Um, You know, all the things that we sort of recoil once we hear, you you hear people drop N-bombs, you hear people, you know, all kind of shit, so... Yeah. yeah. So I think Strassen points out early on in the book that there's no single legal definition. Right. Um, but it's generally understood meaning is, like you were saying, is anything that expresses discriminatory views, especially about certain groups that have been historically subject to yeah, discrimination. Right. So to, to kick off the discussion, because I feel like what Strassen talks about and what I've noticed is a lot of times – Participants in the debate, in the free speech debate, either they assume one of one of two extreme things. They, they assume either that hate speech already is, in fact, like against the law, mm-hmm. or they assume on the, the other extreme that free speech is just total carte blanche and you can actually say whatever. whatever. And neither of those things are true. Right. So um, 
there are limits as to what the Constitution protects and what it deems punishable. And as Strassen points out, there are two really, really important legal tests for determining if speech is protected or punishable. And I'll just lay those out now because we'll keep coming back to them. The first one is called the emergency test, which states that the government can punish speech about public issues only when it poses an emergency, only when it demonstrably and imminently causes specific ascertainable serious harms that cannot be averted by non-sensorial measures. I'm a lawyer, bro. You I'm need a, to be. I'm a lawyer. Is it, is it that hard? I, mm, is I it, mean, is it's, it? not, it's not difficult. Not if you're just reading what, Ross, what Strassen uh, said. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. I could, I could be a lawyer. You could probably be a lawyer. I could be, all right, it's yeah. confirmed I could be a lawyer. Okay, and the other test to determine if speech is punishable or protected by the Constitution is known as the viewpoint neutrality principle, which states that government is not allowed to regulate speech solely because the speech's message, idea, or viewpoint is, quote, disfavored, feared to be dangerous. In other words, the government may not punish hate speech merely because some of us, even the vast majority of us, consider its views or ideas objectionable or abhorrent. Okay. And so the problem then with hate speech laws is that by enacting such laws, they would violate those two principles, mm-hmm. which turn out to be bad. Okay. So I want to I kick it to you at this point because reading this book, and some of you right now are probably like, okay, hate speech is bad. Mm-hmm. It would be better if there were less of it. Mm-hmm. So like what's – why would it be such a bad idea to enact hate speech laws? Like it doesn't seem that controversial. Like it – if you're coming at it from that point, it's like hate speech bad. Mm-hmm. Like, what, what harm could possibly come about by enacting laws that like make it punishable, or that make it legal to punish hate speech? Rather, mm-hmm. um, I mean, it's just the sort of slippery slope. It's the quintessential slippery slope. Um, as Strassen points out, <clears throat> and I mean, and it's not really. You don't have to go far into history to to really see it either but um dis- once the government deems something as you know hate speech or whatever and you know makes it punishable then that law can be twisted and contorted in ways that will also work against dissent specifically from yeah. di- from groups that are subjected to historical discrimination so um you look at you know i think she pointed out the civil rights movement but you look at the black panthers like the type of shit that they said that just was sort of outright calling out the the uh, government calling out racism and everything that shit was deemed as hate speech right yeah yeah <laughs> based on the militancy that they exhibited in respect to them being black at a time where, you know, we're just coming out of Jim Crow. Yeah. So it's like the fact that you would be like that those type of laws would be able to be used against dissenters is where you kind of just have to say, fuck it. (laughs) Yeah. And I think the objection there would be like, cause I'm, I'm on board with you and Strassen and, but I think the objection there would be, well, can't you design hate speech laws in such a way as to make it hate speech only 
punishable when the target of the hate speech is a group that's been historically <coughs> discriminated against. And I think Strassen does a good job of pointing out that you can't really. Right. Because the language she uses is that these laws are necessarily unduly vague and impermissibly overbroad. Right. Which means that the enforcement of the laws are, are going to turn on the subjective standards of the people who make the complaint and the people who enforce the law. And the, there, there's so many bad consequences of that, as you were saying. One is that just the concept of hate itself is subjective. Right. So, I mean, to put it in a more, cont- uh, to use a more contemporary example, I remember when Black Lives Matter was really popping and Black Lives Matter was rightfully calling out what they mm-hmm. saw as hate speech, anti-black hate speech. And then you had police advocates saying that they were the victims of anti-police hate speech. Right. Or what springs to mind is like LGBT rights activists versus like religious advocates mm-hmm. where LGBT activists will say that they're the subject of anti-gay hate speech like coming from a religious point of view. But then the religious people will say, oh no, you're you're directing hate speech at us based on our religion. This is right. anti-religious hate speech. Right. So, and I think it's important to realize that, well, in other countries, stuff like that could rightfully be punished by like a hate speech mm-hmm. law. And it's not like that is a bug of the way the laws are designed. That's actually a feature of the way the laws are designed because of the inherent subjectivity of them. Right. Um, right. Yeah, and then once you once you codify laws like that, then like the slippery slope thing yeah. is just unavoidable because then the government it has largely unfettered sensorial power. Um, and I just want to go over this one... This one consideration that Strassen put forward that really, um, amongst her other arguments, which I eventually bought into, but this one really was like, oh, okay, I, I, I see the danger here. Mm-hmm. Because for the long, like a pretty long time reading into the book, I was like, I was like, okay, I, I get it, but maybe putting hate speech laws on the books wouldn't be so bad. Until she 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 put it this way. So she points out that the thing that animates hate speech laws, the want to enact hate speech laws, is a history of like institutional societal discrimination against certain groups. Mm-hmm. And like proponents of such laws justifiably point out like societal and institutional racism, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Especially in the criminal justice system. But then you're going to propose these laws that would themselves be enforced by the very institutions that you're calling out for institutional racism. So that in and of itself, like within the argument for hate speech laws, you actually have an argument against them. Right. So that, that I was like, oh, that but makes, no, I mean, that like, makes a yeah, ton of sense. Yeah, because – but that, that's why it's a slippery slope is the, the fact that you are now – you are now giving the government this just sort of just this domain over speech in a way like if you're gonna have if you're gonna have a legit you know some semblance of a of a democracy then the free speech thing is is integral to that right if the government is sitting up here and it's like oh this uh this group is calling out you know they, they could say Bernie Sanders is, you know, 
hate speech against the uh, billionaire class. Right. Right. So then you can then censor this this person based on the sort of, you know, political expediency that it would offer you um, to your donor class. Right. Who is this billionaire class? So it's shit like that where, you know. That's what it would be. That's what it would be used for. It wouldn't be used to reprimand, you know, some some you know group out there holding. What was that? The the religious group that holds the signs. Oh yeah, Westboro yeah. Baptist Church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So it's it's not you know it's not them. Well, yeah, I think Strassen points out beautifully that even <clears throat> in countries that have enacted these laws, the laws really don't do much to diminish the amount of hate speech there actually is right and they they reach so many fucked up conclusions about who's getting punished and it's just a, a right. bunch of backward shit which i want to talk about some of the examples of like what we could expect here in the united states if we were to adopt some, some of those laws mm-hmm. based on what's happened in other countries but strassen has this dope quote about how integral free speech is and specifically the two doctrines that protect free speech so so staunchly, the emergency principle and the viewpoint neutrality principle, or the emergency test and the and view, uh, viewpoint, viewpoint neutrality principle, um, are so important because they shelter speech that's considered harmful or like causing violence or may, maybe causing violence or whatever like that or shit like that. But Strassen says ideas that challenge the status quo and advocate law reform by definition are tend are tended to be seen in a negative light by the power elite. So. And then she talks about, like, you know, John C. Calhoun, who was vice president in the 1820s and 30s and was a pro-slavery advocate. Mm-hmm. Like, he was mm-hmm. pro-slavery. <laughs> um, argued that abolitionists were libeling the South and that their speech was going to cause violence, which if if viewpoint neutrality and emergency tests were legitimate legal, def- legal tests at that point, he would, that wouldn't have been a feasible defense. Mm-hmm. But then the, in the South and throughout the Jim Crow era there were laws on the books that restricted speech for exactly those reasons because it was feared that it was going to cause slave rebellions, right. namely. Um, and yeah, Strassen writes, quote, the asserted harms that abolitionist speech was feared to cause, libel, emotional injury, and violence are the very same harms that are now cited in support of hate speech laws. Right. Um, and that's why the NAACP has been like a staunch advocate of free speech for... Yeah, I mean, the, she points out the um, the scope the Skokie, Illinois case. Right. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to you want to describe that real quick? Um. So, I forgot what year. It's in the seventies. Seventy. I think seventy seven, seventy eight. Yeah, yeah. seventy seven. I think. Yeah, yeah. Um. But in Skokie, Illinois, it was a um, a neo Nazi rally, and the ACLU advocated on behalf of the neo Nazis to have their rally for this very fact that if we censor this group, then we have, you know, we've set a precedent that allows all, you know, all groups who are seen as disfavored or harmful or whatever, they would be allowed to be, they could be censored as well. So the ACLU argued in favor of these neo-Nazis to, you know, spew their hatred in the name of free speech. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that case got talked about a lot, but I think right now I just want to talk about some of these, I mean, pretty ridiculous convictions that have been upheld in other countries like France, the UK Mm -hmm. and others where they have, uh, anti hate speech laws on the books. 
because, and I, I included examples in my notes that cut against both left and right political ideologies mm-hmm. because I'm sure, like at times I was like, hearing some of these examples, I was like, oh, well, that's a, that's a legit conviction. That like, I fuck with that one. Mm-hmm. But then the next one is like, oh, wait, but no, I don't want it to be used that way. Right. And so the but point that's is based that you on your political Yeah, you can't yeah. separate out. Right. So let me just list a few of these real quick. In 2016, the head of a Paris LGBT rights organization was fined for using the term homophobe to describe mm-hmm. the president of, of an organization that opposes same-sex marriage. That was like for family rights. In 2015... France's highest court upheld convictions for 12 pro-Palestinian activists who went to supermarkets wearing t-shirts with the message, Long Live Palestine and Boycott Israel. In 2013, a Catholic bishop in Switzerland was subject to a criminal investigation for quoting Bible Bible passages about homosexuality. Not saying anything about it, just quoting Mm -hmm. what the Bible says. And it was during a debate on marriage. And he got, he got, um, he was investigated criminally. Few more. In 2010, Polish police charged two singers because they made critical statements about the Bible and the Catholic Church. Basically, all they said was that the Bible was, quote, unbelievable, and they got charged. Uh, 2009, Austrian, excuse me, not Australian, Austrian, member of parliament was fined almost like, I think, $50,000, like $50,000 American um, because... She was saying that according to the Quran, Muhammad married Aisha when she was like six and like that wouldn't be kosher today. Mm-hmm. And like that was hate speech, like anti-Islam hate speech. Mm-hmm. And in, 20, in 2008, a 15-year-old British boy was charged by police because he displayed a sign during a peaceful demonstration that said Scientology is not a religion, it's a dangerous cult. <laughs> and so all over the political spectrum, we're getting these fucking ridiculous right. convictions um yeah no i mean it 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 would be it would be a shit show here it would be a shit show od it would be a shit show just think about what trump is trump like literally trump says like i am the most maligned person in american history trump just go on youtube (laughs) like go like 90 percent of the youtube channels would get wiped the fuck out like cats would be it would be no no YouTube. It would just be firing accusations back and yeah, all over the place. Yeah, like the shit that I mean, and I guess for what it's worth, um, it hasn't you know devolved into just straight civil war, and we you know people have been able to say what the fuck they want to say and all of that shit or whatever. So yeah, I the I mean I kind of knew like just sort of intuitively like that this would be the sort of consequences of establishing these types of laws yeah um but then actually like reading through the examples because she gave us like two solid pages yeah, oh, of yeah, just it was like no nope, yeah. yeah and so yeah, it's yeah. just like god like this shit is terrible right <laughs> like this right. Is, like because it is so subjective and like i do look at it from that like dissenter's perspective and it this shit is so subjective and it's already like it's already designed to not be in your favor right so it's like why would you even give why would you box yourself in even more essentially yeah because then even what that does as well is it censors all language right like it censors everything across the board so not only are you like 
censoring the quote unquote hate speech, but because your whatever speech could be interpreted as hate speech by, you know, any given group that certain shit that's important that needs to be said isn't going to get said. Right. You can't start self-censoring. And right. The chilling effect. Right. As Jonathan Haidt would say, right. the chilling effect. So a, a thing I was wrestling with was why is speech like such a holy value? Like why is free speech the thing we should defend at all costs? From, from reading Strassen, what did you, like how would you answer that question? Mm. I think like, well, I, I guess what the ideal is or the goal is to sort of have a more informed body politic. Um, and to do that, you do need to sort of work through ideas, concepts, like you need to challenge people intellectually. Um, and so, yeah, the, the biggest takeaway is in order to to sort of get to this ideal society that we speak about um a lot of the the fuck shit that's being said needs to be wrestled with like a lot of these you know and it's it's sort of like the the, the sort of battle of the battle of the minds which is what you know free speech sort of gives you that that space to um duke it out essentially right yeah yeah, yeah. I like that a lot. I was th- I was thinking just about how necessary language is to what we actually think. Mm-hmm. I think the the French um, the French I don't know what you call him philosopher critical theorist uh, Roland Barth mm-hmm. um, had a quote that was like we don't speak language language speaks us mm-hmm. like the like uh, the our lexicon is sort of determinative of what we're actually able to think mm-hmm. in, a, in a certain respect. Right, um, right, right. You're, what, what you're, yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and also I feel like free speech is the value that enables all the other, all the other rights. Mm-hmm. Like what good is fucking freedom of assembly and all the other shit that's in the constitution? Well, yeah, yeah, if, it doesn't. If free speech yeah. is hampered, you right. know, like right. all the other, free speech makes possible all the other rights that we right that we have right because we because we are social creatures like we you know we communicate and then we do that through language and whether that's you know whether that's hateful or not like it's sort of like that those are ideas and those are realities like that the language also sort of speaks to what the realities are yeah so you know if somebody's coming with the yeah like we can't we can't get to a more accurate like picture of what reality is without, without language. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. and without the hateful shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I want to get to this idea that Strassen puts forward of like it's like not only are hate speech laws totally backwards and and um detrimental to our constitutional rights, but they're also not very effective at hampering hate speech and other like non-sensorial measures are are, are better mm-hmm. um, are better tools than just censoring hate speech in terms of co- combating it mm-hmm. but before we go there I just want to I, I wanted to ask you I wanted to ask you this one because this one bef- even prior to reading this book I was always confused because I'd heard this a little bit especially like being when I was at grad school I was at 
I was at grad school from 2014 to 2016. So holy shit, already four years ago. But at that at that time, I was really for the first time I was exposed to the idea that words can be violence. Words mm-hmm. are violence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like, and I I, it, I think that I I was exposed to the idea. It just sort of came out of the vacuum, and like there was no sort of reasoning that came with it. There was no argument for why I would I would take that to be true. That came along with the notion that words can be violence. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask you like. Where did that meme come from? That words are violence. Um. So I, I can't say exactly where. I do know um, that's that in linguistics and in sort of anthrop- cultural anthropology, um, that's that's something that's a sort of theor- theory that's thrown around. Um, also in rhetoric. Uh, Kenneth Burke, he he talks about um, he talks about violence, like language being violence, because you can sort of represent a violent act as is this sort of transformative. Uh, so, for instance, if you're you know speaking about you know a violent act or something like that, or describing something. The speaker could be, you know, that could be just a metaphor for the speaker sort of critiquing something or, or you know, transforming something, right? Okay. Um, but then you also have people who consider language as violence in the term, in the sense that your actual words, whatever you're saying, has some type of traumatic effect on, on you know me as a right whatever so the burke argument you just rehearsed sounded to me it was like a more metaphorical understanding of what violence means as like words can have transformational power on the on the world right which i think every reasonable person would agree with maybe using the word violence there is like a little yeah you open yourself up to potential critiques just based on the traditional way we use the word violence with with burke it's more of transformation the emphasis is transformation he's violent would be a, a sort of vehicle as you know in the same way he could use something else and say you know um i don't know i just know the example that that i read from burke he he talked about violence and how you know speakers authors poets you know use violence as a way in their work and shit like that is this oh, sort okay, of transformative okay, okay. Got it, got it, got it, got yeah. it. Okay, so I think that's that sounds like it's complete, pretty divorced from the meme that words are literally violence. Yeah, I don't, yeah. Which seems, I don't know, that just on the face of it, I'm, I'm like, are, I mean, are you contorting we- the definition of, are, are people that say that, are they contorting the definition of violence or are they really claiming are they are they like literalized like words are literally violence which if you're making that claim i don't understand how that is is in any way plausible or how you can argue for that in any way because the thing that's special about language is that by definition you need an intermediary like a perceptive intermediary for there to be any kind of like transactional like language game we're playing. Mm-hmm. So like I'm not saying that words like 
really, really charged words can't have psychic effects on people and like bad psychic effects on people. I would never say that. Of course they can. Mm -hmm. But there is something different about saying something, however vile it is, versus getting fucking smacked in the face like we were talking about in the opening segment. Mm -hmm. Like there's no, you don't have any, there's no perceptive intermediary if if dude just comes up behind me and smacks me in the face. Now, it might it might hurt some people more than others, and there's a whole spectrum mm-hmm. of, of effects, but there's something qualitatively, fundamentally different about real violence mm-hmm. and words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I guess it would have to be like... I guess you would have to sort of extend the definition of violence in, in terms of what those effects are like what like how impactful are the psychological effects of certain words on you know on a person and can that can those words be detrimental to the point of you know this sort of psychic trauma that you know is as impactful as me slapping you in the face I mean, you know, it's again, it's subjective. So I can't I can't sit here and say that, you know, full stop that words aren't violent. I would just have to extend the definition of violence in order to accommodate for that. But why would you want to extend the definition of violence? Why is it not enough to say that words can cause serious psychological harm in in certain situations? But that there's a there's it's not even it's not even a I feel like some the an argument against what I'm saying might be like that I'm saying that when we violence means something worse. Mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily saying that. I'm just saying that violence is just something different. Right. No, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I I'm just saying in order to accommodate for that, you would have to extend like you would necessarily have to extend the definition of violence. Okay, okay. Yeah, okay, that's right. what I'm I'm not saying that's what I'm yeah, doing. Yeah. I'm just saying for the person who says that words are violence, then you are necessarily extending that definition of violence to accommodate for okay. language yeah. to work in that. So this is <laughs> I feel like this is the point in the discussion where it gets kind of squirrely for me because Strawson puts forward certain arguments about how how perceived levels of stress and trauma actually beget higher le- levels of actual incurred levels of stress and trauma. So like just sort of talking about the Jonathan Haidt coddling of the American mind type shit. There's this quote from the psychologist Pamela, I don't know how to pronounce her last name, Parisky. She says, High levels of perceived stress are associated with adverse physiological impacts. If one person tells herself that listening to a speaker is going to be intolerable and harmful, the experience will be more stressful for her than the person who tells herself it will be an opportunity to defeat a bad idea. Mm -hmm. If we believe that stress causes harm, we may in fact suffer more harm from stress. While if we believe that stress is enhancing, we can experience increases in anabolic or growth hormones. I don't know. I mean, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it makes sense. Like, if you're going into something and you're thinking, like, yo, this is going to be a fucked up experience, then, yeah, I'm pretty sure you're going to have, you know, you're more susceptible to having a fucked up experience. Um, 
And then that's just also like a different mentality. Like the person who's going into the, you know, going to see this speaker and they're like, oh, this is an opportunity for me to, you know, shoot down your ideas. Then your mentality is is completely different as opposed to the person who's stressed out about hearing somebody speak in the first place. Like I would think like that person's more susceptible to, you know, being triggered by all types of shit, I'm sure as opposed to this person who's willing to combat ideas or whatever that, yeah, that person is of course not going to go into that motherfucker and be stressed out. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Have you ever, what's, what's your experience in terms of like being the victim of, or being the target of like hate speech and fucked up shit like that? Um, I've actually never had to deal with it. Um, I've been told I look mean and shit. So, people tend not to really say much of anything to me like that oh you've been told you look mean as an explanation as to why yeah that's the, that's yeah like case. cats like just choose not to really huh. say shit to me yeah i really don't get much like of anything like that like um i've been in like i've of course had to challenge ideas um yeah and you know in, in school and shit like that um but like just straight up like hate speech like straight up like somebody came up to me and said like you fucking nigger like <laughs> nah like nah cause I mean I'll sock you in your fucking face and I guess so, I like, look that, like you feel like that's what your reaction would be yeah yeah I mean but the, it, because like so I guess just on a personal level like when it comes to free speech like you have this freedom and you also have this responsibility Right. And back to our original, you know, our earlier combo. Me being disciplined the way I was by my parents, but then also having that freedom to express myself and shit. I learned how to, you know, deliberately say what I need to say. Yeah. And I'm also like cognizant of situations and shit. So I'm not trying to you know, disrespect anybody or anything like that. And go, man, if you disrespect me, mm. you can't, you can't uh, dictate what my reaction is to some shit. So if you, you know, you want to be bold and, you know, come at me with some shit and I punch you in your fucking mouth, then that's on you. That's the transaction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah, on yeah. you. Like, that's how I perceive your language. So, okay, then that's what we on. Yeah. It's that simple. Yeah. So, run up if you want to. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, a few other things before we can turn it over to the the Bernie. Oh, yeah. The Bernie We, we got to get into that. But so, one thing that really stuck out to me was like this idea of symbolic or token change versus like meaningful change. Mm-hmm. Where like... I think Strassen put it put it really nicely where she was like, marginalized groups who are the intended beneficiaries of hate speech laws may well feel that society is offering them mere symbolic or token gestures at the cost of measures that are actually effective. Right. And I feel like I, I feel like Strassen articulated something that I feel strongly about, but I didn't really know how to articulate it, which is that like I sometimes feel a type of way when 
certain white people maybe in the media or just in life in general get really out like outraged at specifically racialized stuff that's not that's more like a symbolically fucked up thing but like you're not really the type of person that I'm going to hear engaging on like the systemic underlying shit like right. I feel like a, a couple like also when I was at grad school I think I was shown this clip of like Megan Kelly who had some a white dude on who was quoting like a racist who said the n-word but this white dude who was the correspondent actually said the n-word so like this dude was just he was quoting it now we can have a conversation about whether or not that's appropriate to do or whatever but the dude wasn't like out here Mm -hmm. you know saying the word like like that and megan kelly got like i don't know if it's megan kelly someone fact checked me but like this anchor got really, really upset and like I think started like crying or something <laughs> and like like kicked the guy, something something like that. I don't know. But like, but like you're going to get outraged at that and yet that it doesn't see like the, the outrage is so like self-serving in a way and I'm not, the level of outrage should like correspond to like real things threats in the world and like if you're gonna get outraged at that but then you're not really engaging with other like larger issues that have really really right. wide-reaching impacts that just comes across to me as like w- w- what's going it's on vapid yeah, yeah yeah no it is i mean like <clears throat> so and this this is actually a good segue into the bernie shit because the so to sort of lay it out bernie sort of received a quasi endorsement from Joe Rogan and you know pretty sure most people know who Joe Rogan is if you don't he's you know was on host of fear factor uh UFC commentator and he's got one of the you know largest uh audiences in the in the podcast world and so he's you know had all of these people on his podcast from you know People ranging from Cornell West to Milo Nia, whatever Yiannopoulos, whatever his name is, um, and so, and you know, I, I guess he said some some shit in the past or whatever. Some I don't know. I guess people said he dropped dropped the N word a couple times. Uh, he says some he, shit I, about. I didn't hear that. Yeah, I, I haven't heard it personally well he i mean he's also a comedian by but trade. yeah it, right and that's yeah i forgot to i forgot to mention that so yeah and so um he's you know he says some shit about trans women or something like that so i've, I've heard him say some of this, the trans stuff and since he's huge in the ufc world yeah he, and which the, is the, like the I, no i understand that part the like, hill he's dying on is not like just trans people don't right it, like fake no or, yeah the hill he's dying on is like if you are, if you're biologically a male, born a male yeah. and you transition right. to female, it's it's kind of fucked up if you're competing against biological females in a fighting combat sport. Right, that's right. the hill that, he's dying yeah. on. Right, that's it has nothing no, to that, do with it yeah, that have makes like bathrooms or yeah, pronouns. No, that, that makes that that one just makes sense to me. Yeah. So um, so he he came out and said that he you know is planning to vote for Bernie. Ringing he had door. Bernie on the show. Yeah, he had, he's had Bernie on the show. He also had Cornell West, like I said. Yep. Killer Mike, two surrogates of Bernie Sanders. Um, 
And yeah, like so he he's he said that he was, you know, planning to vote for Bernie. The Bernie Sanders campaign obviously touted the endorsement, posted Fire, it. As they should. Yeah. Um, and then it was just all like the sort of affluent white liberals that you were just talking about or like scorched earth on Twitter and shit like um, he's a homophobe oh, and he's a transphobe and he hates uh, African Americans. So they were saying basically that Bernie, that Bernie should shirk the yeah, endorsement. Right. Uh, right. Right. Which is nuts to me because I hit you up last night because I saw something that was like, oh, Bernie, a headline on Reddit that was like, Bernie campaign responds to backlash over Rogan endorsement. And I hit you up like, wait, what backlash over the Rogan endorsement? Like what? It was it was so like and then what's crazy is like so people are you know to our conversation about hate speech like people were talking about how Rogan you know amplifies these people who you know are coming with these platforms yeah he's he's platforming um, you know all of these ultra right wing alt right people and stuff like that and and it's just like if you were to actually listen to his podcast though he exposes how stupid these Bro, people he are had, <laughs> he had ben shapiro on and he like joe rogan is not like a rhetorician or yeah. like he's not like an orator yeah. he's not like a philosopher but he demol he, he yeah he like picked it, apart ben shapiro all you all you have to do is ask questions like and see and that's the thing about like this whole like hate speech shit is that people are afraid of actually challenging their own like the efficacy of their own political ideologies right so like at when you're when you have to sort of go at somebody like a Ben Shapiro or something like that. You you know, you have people who are, oh, he's just hateful and, and whatever, and, and that's it. And it's just like, no, if he's hateful, let's expose his idea. Like, let's let's expose him for the fraud that he is. All he does is just talk fast. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So it's just like, those are opportunities to convert people. Like, the people who listen to him, then you're able to be like, huh, or they, yeah. you should be, you know, that's the that's the goal, at least. Yeah. Well, there, there's a couple of things. One is just that I feel like, and again, I'm painting in broad strokes because I don't want to be guilty. I don't want to become guilty of the shit that I'm complaining about. Mm -hmm. But I feel like a lot of people, like if, if someone has just a heterodox opinion about something that doesn't fall in line with really like the kind of like New York Times-y, Twitter-y type mm -hmm. shit, like then it's not like, what is this person saying? It's like, oh, that's hate speech, or, or like, let's let's get them out of here. Mm -hmm. And also, the second the second thing is like that I find so crazy is the platforming thing. Like, you can say that Joe Rogan's not really a journalist. He didn't go to he didn't go to journalism mm -hmm. school or anything like that. But like, he's the biggest voice probably in the world. Like, no, really. real shit. Like, yeah, real shit. He and. Just have I don't get how just having someone on to talk about them means you must endorse unilaterally all of the all of them. Well, that's baggage. because see, that's because we aren't in we're in a like in an age of opinion journalism, mm. and so the, everything is sort of geared toward whatever your political ideology is. So if you're you know a uh, Wall Street bro, 
you fucking with the Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, right. you know what I'm saying? So that's framing your your worldview. If you're, you know, some affluent liberal, black, white, whoever, you're fucking with the New York Times. Like you rocking with the the Warren and Klobuchar uh, endorsement shit or whatever, right? And, you know, if you're like me, you know, read the nation or Jacobin or current affairs or some shit like that. So it's just like the, the fact that we're in an age where, you know, everything sort of across the board is geared toward a particular political ideology, like wherever you're at on that spectrum. Joe Rogan is a throwback. Because he has the entire spectrum on, he just on his has show. Cats on. He just has cats come on. That's so true, bro. That's such a good point. And like, I forget who I was listening to or where I heard it. But like, people were talking about how, you know, journalists used to interview like despicable people and not fear. Like, they're, 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 it's an exposure. It's, yeah, that's, it's, what, that's what journalism was supposed to be. Like, the sunlight is the best disinfectant type shit yeah, or whatever. Like, yeah. Now it's just it's all opinion based, and so if you don't fit within, you know whatever that that box is, if you aren't you know center center right you know corporate person, if you aren't a you know affluent left liberal you know academician, you know yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. like where do you sort of fit into these you know boxes, and then that sort of frames how you either accept or reject certain people yeah and And it's i think it's also conflating uh like people conflate ideas with the person's whole whole ass identity there's a a lot of conflation just in general going on where i feel like that's all it is because nobody is thinking about anything right right. (laughs) like nobody's sitting back and reflecting on like the people who are on twitter like outraged over this shit are clearly people who have zero ideas about like you said how the world operates systemically and how these issues really like if you're if you're so outraged about what joe rogan said about trans women but you aren't doing something about all the black trans women who are ending up dead and fucking all across the country or all the homeless trans women or you know what i'm saying like if you aren't doing anything about that shit but you mad about joe rogan shut the fuck up yeah it's that simple or just like have you or like i would be i would be interested to know how many of the people that were outraged at that at at joe rogan endorsing bernie actually had a had listened to joe rogan for more than like 30 seconds no they don't listen you can tell that they don't listen at all you just see that you just sort of see the video on youtube and it's oh so joe rogan podcast or joe rogan experience milo yiannopoulos what you just see the fucking headline you see he has this person on and so you're automatically like oh fuck him right because heaven forbid you actually watch it and then then you become complicit in the whole nasty transaction that you think it is you can't watch it right you can't watch you can't watch him expose and undermine the ideas of a person that you find so vile like he's doing the work for you but you you're so you know self-righteous that you don't take the time to actually watch and recognize that yeah so shout out to joe rogan for jumping on the on the bernie train you know it's a lot of us 
I, I, I like I like Rogan. I like him. Yeah, he 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 should uh he should come out and just go full blown, you know, full blown endorsement. Get the endorsement vid like everybody else. The Killer Mikes. Everybody got <laughs> everybody who's like got John Cusack just came out with with the endorsement vid. John Cusack. Oh. Inter- <laughs> integral part of the, of the Bernie coalition. He really is. Fucking John Cusack. Um, all right, so I want to end with. Well, I mean, how you feel? I'm, I feel like I, I unloaded. Oh, pause. Oh, wow. I unburdened. <laughs> I unburdened myself of all these complaints. I un- <laughs> oh wow. Oh. <laughs> oh man. Um, Did you unload? Yo, <laughs> the the only thing that I I guess I'll add though to all of this, uh, going back to Strawson, is her um, thing with counter speech. And while I agree with that, I am not hopeful. So basically, Strawson says that counter speech, i.e., engaging with ideas that we might find objectionable and countering them with more speech, not just censoring it is preferable and more efficacious than just censoring it. Right. And I just, I don't know. And we'll, we'll talk about this in a, in another episode when we um, break down manufacturing consent, but I just don't know in this, in this landscape, like if that's possible in order and i say that because people are so like are in their respective echo chambers right and yeah. so it's just kind of like how do you how do you penetrate that and really i guess that's more so an indictment on the fact that most people are dumb or act dumb and so i think counter speech works only if the people sort of engaged in this debate and then the, the the audience around them are are um damn what what do i want to say that they're um like that susceptible they're, that they're not bad actors essentially that you like you're kind of really in order for counter speech to work you're assuming that all things are equal that sort of right. this, this this person who's you know spewing this hate speech and shit like that is this sort of rational actor which really is like when you look at the people who are pushing this type of shit they they're well not the ones pushing it really the ones who accept it and then you know sort of reproduce it are stupid Right, and so like it's just so for me that's why I'm like I get it like in theory the counter speech shit does work in theory, um, but I think it only works if we have you know a really informed society, and I just don't think that that we do. I, yeah, I totally agree. I, I especially when it comes to like the out and out fucking you know Richard Spencer and his adherents of the world like they're not really susceptible to new evidence to right. any kind of counter arguments or counter speech right. I think I, I took that part in Strassen I applied that more to like you know the sensationalized probably ultimately overblown like 
the the the, the culture war as it as it is enacted on the campus mm-hmm. on like especially mm-hmm. like Ivy League campuses and shit. I'm thinking like you know like. Aunt Coulter being scheduled to give a speech and then demonstrators like silencing her, right? Mm-hmm. And I took it more, I, I sort of thought when I was reading Strassen, that portion of Strassen, I was thinking more about that shit than about out and out, you know, yeah. fucking white supremacists where I'm like, counter speech, I think Strassen's argument there is in the Ann Coulter where there's just like student activists like bl- literally censoring or blaring, preventing Ann Coulter from speaking, the more effective way, if you're so concerned with counteracting the whatever Ann Coulter stands for, the the more effective way to counteract her message is by actually engaging with the ideas than it is to just right essentially do the equivalent of like nah, like cover your yeah, ears and right. like, you know right. I, that's what I was thinking about. Yeah, more. yeah, and no, and and that's that's part of it, but the other part is the real world as well, like outside of that campus you know, that controlled space where, you know, people have this, you know, feeling that they can express themselves and they can, you know, whatever, right? Like that's the sort of environment that most campuses have. But that counter speech shit, I mean, we have, you know, cats on social media. We have, you know, it's the world is like, we, we have so much access to, you know, communications to communication that, you're going to have to deal with this shit at every turn. And so when you're not on a college campus and you don't have, you know, um, this marquee speaker coming, like what is it when you're just on, you know, you're flipping through a video on YouTube and you see some shit or what, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, right. yeah, it's yeah, yeah. how, like how does counter speech work in that space? Because if a person is coming at it like I'm trying to break down to you why this shit is systemically like this sort of you know buttresses the systemic issues um, that are tied to this particular group or whatever if I'm coming at it like that and you're just you know whatever far out there racist motherfucker then we aren't on equal footing at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. And so counter speech, I'm just, you know, I'm that's going in one ear and out the other at that point. Yeah. And so that's why I'm just like just from the top down, like we are just not that informed. You know? I, I see what you're saying. You have more of like a pessimistic view of yeah. just the Yeah, because it's just yeah. like we just like just as as an entire like society, we are we are just I agree with in I, I agree with you from like a very general point of view that just as far as like people are out here just unconvincible and just goes back to the conspiracy theory shit for me like you, you there's you encounter mad people that just like it doesn't matter what you say to them they're, right, they're stuck in their right, fucking beliefs right right and yeah. that's why I said if in an ideal world the counter speech shit works because yeah. we are sort of working toward this ideal society based on what are the most you know efficacious ideas yeah i think i think in the gray areas is where it's most effective like strassen put out this laid out this case of i think it was at arizona state um Mm. where i in a dorm like she didn't get it too specific but in a dorm some guys put up a poster that i guess was 
somehow displayed like some stereotypes of black mm-hmm. women, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think it was like a white power poster, but I think it was mm-hmm. some suspect shit. And these four black students, instead of, well, I think they did report it, but then they engaged in, they engaged with the people who put it up. They explained why they didn't fuck with it. The people who put it up weren't like, fuck you, white power, free speech. They were like, oh, I didn't realize that those were the stereotypes. And they were like... I'm not gonna risk. I think it was it was like a joke of some. It was a, I think it was a bad joke on a poster or something like that. Mm-hmm. And and they were like, my, I'm not gonna die on the hill of like free speech for telling this joke that I didn't even know was offensive. So they took it down of their own volition. And then they all got together and like there was a there was like a, a dormitory wide meet and like meeting of this shit, which would have been. Which is far more productive than just like the kids get suspended and then they get more entrenched in there. Like, well, what? The well, fuck? yeah, yeah, no, of course that's. I think that's. I, I think that's yeah. what Strawson was really yeah, taking no, aim at. That's and that's that's why I said that's the ideal. Yeah, but realistically, not everybody is you know a sort of at the very least you're on a college campus, so you are open to something, right? You're open to right. debate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like even if it's even if it's you are going even if you die on that hill you're at least willing to debate like you're on a college campus so you're willing to engage in these ideas to some extent that's not the idea like that's why i'm saying like once you get sort of out of that academic bubble where it's like oh we can sort of have this this equal exchange of ideas and then let the let the best ones sort of you know flourish from there no like that's not how these dumbass motherfuckers are on the internet (laughs) like the counters like cats are not gonna like you not seeing somebody say some fuck shit online and then you're like you you know respond to it and then they're like huh i didn't realize (laughs) that (laughs) like nobody's doing that that's true (laughs) so that's very true so yeah that's where my pessimism (laughs) comes in at like but yeah i think it's i think it's healthy to be to be pessimistic yeah (laughs) all right so on that note All right, we'll be back next week. Yeah. Thanks. Later. Peace.